people like people like games what's up what's up and welcome back to episode 19 of people like games if you don't know by now what are you really doing that's the only question i'm solo and Lilo will not be with us today. He was under obligations, uh, prior obligations rather, of the intimate nature. And by that, I mean it was his girlfriend's birthday. And to her, we would like to express a very, very happy PLG birthday. Hannah, thank you for taking away Lilo for the night. This episode is that much better because of you. Just kidding. Can't wait for Lilo to be back, especially for you guys who have to now sit and listen to me for the next 30 to 40 minutes. I'm going to make a slightly shorter episode because there's a few topics that I want to expand upon, but I'm going to wait till Lilo's back uh, to get further into it. But uh, anyway, as usual, let me let me get these quick plugs in and out of the way. The Twitter at people like games. Be sure to follow. Hit us up. Let's chat. I'm always on. And if you use iTunes or Google Play, be sure to subscribe, leave some reviews, some love, and fucking Spotify and Tidal, still hit us up. I'm getting really goddamn tired of being held out of both of your platforms because we're making moves now. And so get us before we don't want you, but that's not really true because we still do want you. Anyway, uh, without much further ado, let's, let's just get, like, get into it because it's a one-man show. We could just make this a little looser than usual, so... Starting off first, I'm going to start with the designer of a little game you may have heard called Journey. It was out on uh, PlayStation a few years back. It was a sort of beautiful, surreal adventure. Uh, it's one of the coolest games I've ever played. I highly recommend it if you get the chance. Uh, the creator uh, or the lead designer of the team's name is Genova Chen. Funny enough, it was revealed that he actually took the name from uh, Final Fantasy VII, the character from Final Fantasy VII, uh, because his friend had taken Cloud and Sephiroth was too uh, complicated to pronounce. So again, journey on PlayStation. And interesting enough, his company, that game company, which dope-ass name, are developing a iOS game called Sky. If you get a chance, take a look at the trailer. It is beautiful. It's going to be... looks awesome. I'm going to buy it. It looks... Super cool, super cool, and it, funny enough, is going to be re- released on Apple TV, iOS, and iPad uh, this coming month in March, and it's funny enough, depending on how, I'm, I do want to try it out on Apple TV, because then it'll give me an idea, or it'll give us an idea of what angle Apple's trying to pursue gaming, because as we had mentioned last week, they had filed some trademarks for it, and personally, we think it's silly, everyone's trying to get into gaming at this point, but... We'll see how that plays out. But again, Sky for iOS and Apple. Check out the trailer. Next up, uh, let's uh, let's get into a little PUBG. Uh, as you know, we had mentioned, I guess, two weeks back about the 90% decline in H1Z1's player base, which isn't ideal with the upcoming, I believe, professional league set to launch within a month or two. But guess what other Battle Royale game is following? Not a similar pattern, because... 90% is a lot, but what has begun its downward trend? You you guessed it. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Uh, Fortnite's only going to get bigger, but PUBG 
has just failed a lot in terms of creating a sustainable product uh, for the long term. Uh, they have lost about 10% of the entirety of their user base in the past month, according to the Steam charts. And, you know, it's just a lack of real interest in the game or perpetual interest in the game that, like, I've played it. It's glitchy. They still have the issue with a lot of cheating going on. They haven't really implemented a whole lot of cool customizations on clothing or weapons or skins it's borderline not the same but it's a slightly polished version the same game that's been out since october granted i'm sure they spent the first couple of months solely focused on being able to scale their architecture to handle the amount of players that they were getting which is i mean there's still over a million players concurrently so that's not to say that the game has disappeared overnight however it's also worth mentioning that it is pretty much, you know, it's down two thirds from it, it, its concurrent of like three million plus. And, uh, you know, I, I see the trend going downward. Uh, and I started playing Fortnite a lot more myself. I started watching, which well, actually, funny enough, Ninja, who is on Twitch. Um, I don't have a lot about to add, a lot to add about him, but super fun to watch, super dope-ass streamer, really fucking good at the game, which is what it really comes down to. And he just got 125,000 viewers on stream, so he's relatively new, and he's up and coming. And you even have someone like Dr. Disrespect, who was in this past month in Rolling Stone magazine doing an interview on his personal life and himself, which pretty cool to see twitch characters break out and be part of real world mediums in that sense that's not a real world being quote unquote i guess a mainstream or legacy media is the phrase that more accurately describes it so it's just breaking out of its world in gaming and onto different places so uh, that's pretty cool to see. I, I didn't get a chance to read the interview, but uh, he's playing Fortnite as well, which is why I mentioned him. And so if the number one face of your game suddenly decides that, hey, this game sucks, I need to play Fortnite, you're going to have an issue. You need at least a couple of top people to be able to perpetually pitch the game for you on a platform. And I mentioned that because as our next story goes... Rare, the developer behind uh, the upcoming Sea of Thieves game, uh, recently the uh, <clears throat> executive producer, John Joe Neat, had a uh, conversation or interview with Eurogamer in which he talked about the effect that uh, the number of streaming hours had on pre-sales. So I want to say it's obvious, but a lot of people really loved watching Sea of Thieves when it came out. It actually even top twitch for like a week or two just by nature i guess a newness and it drove up their expected pre-sale orders and so if you're not getting a lot of major streamers now you're going to be affecting the overall product sales that you're going to have overall so um we'll see that as more people pick up fortnite as it becomes a bigger thing amongst athletes and celebrities etc it's only going to expand into new places, whereas PUBG's most famous people are saying no, and as rares apparently are obviously showing, which is the more people watch, the more people enjoy, the more people want to play, then they'll play, but then they'll continue watching, etc. It, it, it's a new way to drive sales, which is to have top streamers who have large audiences playing your game 
that is a relatively new marketing thing, which is, I guess they send it to like personalities to do, but if it's just a natural love for the game, you're going to see that translate into sales. And so anyway, next up we have a little bit more Overwatch. So we had mentioned uh, the previous week how Overwatch Stage 2, the Overwatch League Stage 2 had begun. It's been pretty cool. The set of characters that are being used, known as the meta, has changed because of changes to the character. So I always find that interesting, especially with regards to professional gaming, where in basketball, they're not going to be like, hey, that three-point shot, if you shot step back four two steps is now four points, or if you step up where exactly where you were shooting a month ago, that spot now gives you a different amount of points. That is a variable that gamers have to put up with. So they really changed a main healer in the game, Mercy, for those of you who are unaware, that was a character's name. And so they basically scrubbed the character out of main lineup. So whoever was good in the past three years off the back of that character has to literally adapt the entirety of their gameplay style to suit it because it's not as viable anymore. So that's interesting. It does create for new drama New teams, such as like the Houston Outlaws, if you've been watching, have become a sort of dominant team all of a sudden because I think the meta really works in their favor. And so just an interesting idea. It happens in every sports or every major game at the moment in terms of the variating or the variable changes to damage, health, whatever the case is, to always be on top of that as a gamer and to be worried that it could affect the main character you're using. That's some some tricky stuff. That's some tricky stuff, that's for sure. But anyway, let's get on to our next, uh, as I was saying, uh, with Overwatch. So before I just rant too long about the Overwatch League, the upcoming 27th character that it's potentially set to be announced sometime soon is supposed to be Torben's daughter. That is the sort of uh, estimate or guess that a lot of the online communities have come up with after watching a lot of the teasers that Overwatch Twitter channel has leaked in the past week. Should be cool, and it sort of just goes hand in hand, as I was saying, which is now they're introducing a brand new variable that completely could potentially change the lineups, et cetera. And so I think that's cool. I think that gives an active reason to always be paying attention to the league and the game simultaneously because the game can affect the league and the league can affect the game. Interesting uh, dynamic there. But anyway, on to a quick side note. I wanted to give a quick reminder of the fact that today is the 32nd anniversary of the original Dragon Ball series, originally aired on February 26, 1986. That's pretty wild. Still one of the best series out of all of them. GT doesn't exist. I don't watch Kai, and I don't watch Super. It's Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z. The end for me, in my opinion, at the end of the day. So anyway, just a a little interesting pop culture note that that series has been around for three decades, um, which is pretty awesome. Next up, let's get into a little bit of Take-Two and Grand Theft Auto Online. The company, Rockstar's parent company, rather, Rockstar is a company that makes the Grand Theft Auto games, and their parent company is Take-Two. They recently filed for a new trademark as it relates to GTA logos. One is GTA-O, which is, I presume, GTA Online. And the second one is just plain GTA, which is 
presupposes, and this is from PC Games and article, but presupposes that they're going to bring a console version as well, um, or apply that secondary trademark to a physical version. So it's pretty cool that you can learn a lot about what these companies might be doing in the future by nature of looking at trademark applications or patent applications, um, same way we did with EA and their potential algorithm changes for matchmaking or Apple filing patents for gaming or, in this case, trademarks. And so it's cool because I was actually just reading a list of the top-selling games of January, and I was debating putting it as a piece of the article, but I was like, I mean, we're at the end of February. What does January sales really matter? All of the games that you would expect to be top sellers are top sellers, but one falls right in the middle. Grand Theft Auto V, released five years ago. Five years ago, 2013, that game came out. Wild. That we're in 2018, February, and that game is still in the top 10 sold per month. That's wild. I, I need to replay the game. Super cool. Super cool, in my opinion. Um, pretty wild what they've done. But anyway, what else do we have here? Uh, recently, uh, the DICE Awards occurred, which is held by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. I would go into it, but to be frankly honest, following up on the 2017 Game of the Year Awards, everything went to Nintendo and Breath of the Wild, which is a new Zelda game that came out on Switch and Wii U. People believe it's a masterpiece. I believe it's like an eight masquerading as something groundbreaking. And I say that because I, I was just reading and in regards to those Grand Theft Auto numbers I had just brought up, how revolutionary Grand Theft Auto 3 was to the entirety of how games were structured moving forward on consoles. And the fact that Breath of Wild is not going to have, in my opinion, at least the same sort of industry-wide effect that you create a new standard of quality. That's why I'm like, when, when you, people use the word like masterpiece, like that's a word that should be used sparingly for something perfect. And Breath of the Wild is a great game. If everyone was like, this game is awesome. This game is so fun. This game is great. No issues. But if you're like, this is groundbreaking and it blows minds. I'm going to be like, well, hold up. Now you're exaggerating. The phrasing that you use for, you know, cheering on a game is very important for me because I'm a words guy. And so I know words don't matter in this existence in society anymore, but they do to me. So if you ever see me or if you ever at me, be sure to be like, yo, Breath of the Wild is really good, right? I'm like, yeah, it's great. But don't say it's amazing or it's a masterpiece because... I'm not going to block you. I'm just going to ignore you uh, because I do not respond to silly opinions, which I'm sure makes me have the silly opinion if you look at it in relation, but always fear having the majority opinion. Anyway, now moving on to a little bit of mobile for you guys. Google recently uh, launched uh, its, or announced rather, its augmented reality SDK, which is software developer kit, is no longer in preview and version 1.0 is now available. AR Core basically enables developers to create AR mobile games that use a camera to interact with the real world objects. Pretty cool, it will give a sort of developer kit ability to a wider uh, number of people and the Android ecosystem is the largest in the world. And so I'm really curious to see what that 
uh, is going to bring about. Hopefully, they end up with the Yu-Gi-Oh game because at this point, like, if we're talking VR, AR, and we're not talking Yu-Gi-Oh, then what are we really talking about? But should be cool. I, I think augmented reality is going to be very much a, a mobile mainstay. I thought Pokemon Go mastered. I think it was Lilo who mentioned that in one of our previous conversations as to that being the, the interesting element for him. Uh, and so I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm curious to see what other, I guess, IP they'll adapt or what other concepts they'll come up with. But augmented reality, mobile, I'm going to call that now. That That's a, that's a match made in heaven. Uh, I think VR is going to be more PC-based because um, you're going to see sort of established home consoling and then you'll have sort of on-the-go movement gaming and so you'll see that those are two sort of separate entities. That, that, that'll that delineate itself over the next couple of years as we see the industry just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Anyway, uh, which speaking of the effects of the industry getting bigger, bigger, and bigger, I ran across an article in Dot .esports by Zing Li, uh, who's a League of Legends analyst, and he mentioned, uh, or the article is titled that NALCS, which is the North American League Championship Series, which is for the game League of Legends, is broken up into geographical uh, establishments. And so NA, obviously, North America. And so uh, in a recent interview with Liquid Legends, Optic Gaming, which is one of the teams that are part of the NALCS, their manager, Romain Bigard, revealed that the average salary in the NA LCS this year is over $320,000. Pretty incredible, I think. Um, you know, according to the article, that according to a survey conducted by ESPN a year ago, the average NA LCS salaries were about $105,000. But according to Bigard, last year trended closer to $150,000. So that means within a year due to franchising, and if you are not familiar, League of Legends had a league established already, but then they did something similar to Overwatch League in that they required franchising. So whereas... Overwatch League required the initial team buy-in to be $20 million. League of Legends was $10 million. And so uh, some of the teams that were in it already were able to put the money together and stay. One of the main teams, uh, the Immortals, which is one of the main main teams in, in online esports, online esports, I guess that's redundant, in esports, wasn't able to get in. Apparently there, there wasn't a lot of transparency with regards to how the process went about. So uh, it's pretty interesting. I am curious because with the lack of unionization of a majority of these league players, so League of Legends, Overwatch, so uh, Halo, so on, Call of Duty, you know, Counter-Strike Go, so on and so forth, the lack of unionization means that there's not as much uh, transparency and it's not like there's like a, a governmental body that requires them in the industry to create like standards standards of pay and, and, and transparency in that manner. I'm going to use transparency a lot. But um, so it's curious. That's a really big number. It also shows the influx or what the effect of an influx of money can be on payments, salaries, sort of like uh, inflation to a large degree, which is that all this money came in all of a sudden. So then all of the talent automatically jumps up. It's sort of like if you're an NBA fan at all, and you notice in the past two years, oh, shit, people are making a whole lot of money. How did that happen? That's because you can find out transparently. The percentage of the, the salary cap number 
is tied to a percentage of overall league revenue. So when they signed a brand new television that brought in a shitload of money, that shitload of money translated to affecting the amount of money available to sign players. And so all of a sudden, you were seeing five years, $200 million deals, but that was because of the massive influx of money. A lot of the issues were that, okay, this is a one-year blip according to the numbers. It was basically the, the, the loophole in the numbers that allowed the Warriors to sign Kevin Durant. That is something similar you, you would see in these leagues when they get this early bunches of money and trying to figure out whether they would be able to, uh, you know, I guess uh, equally distribute that or to figure out a way to uh, transition the money into the league rather than allowing, oh, you know, over a 150% increase in the salary numbers over the course of the year when you don't have that necessarily reflected in numbers. It's just more money in there. It's not more money being generated yet, yet being the word. So... We'll see how this goes moving forward. Anyway, um, that's pretty much it for, I guess, quick scope. For once, I got that in a, a, a relatively small amount of time. And then there's just a few stories that I guess I'll call the quote-unquote main segment here for you guys. And we'll just sort of move it to, this, to the right and go a little bit more in depth, even though I am trying to figure out a balance for what the speed and depth of coverage should be for Quickscope versus this main segment, because sometimes I just like analysis, and I think maybe you guys like analysis, and then sometimes I'm like, shit, I got to add more context. And so a one-minute talk becomes a three-minute talk, but I still enjoy it. So if I ever run over, it's because CPT, baby, CPT. Look up what that means. Anyway... Let's get into a little bit of Nintendo versus Norway. And so you may be wondering when you saw the episode title, what does that mean? So basically it's that Nintendo's eShop refund policy is violating European consumer rights. And so according to the Norwegian Consumer Council, they asked Nintendo to change its policy in regards to refunds on its eShop. And they said this because according to a report from one of Norway's major lead papers, the Norwegian Consumer Council, who I'll just refer to NCC from here on out, conducted research into, and this is from a gamesindustry.biz article, that name will be relevant, gamesindustry.biz, to the next topic we cover, but until then, NCC conducted research into seven digital video game platforms and found that only Origin and Steam had quote-unquote adequate systems in place for refunding purchased video games. Then Battle.net, Uplay, PlayStation Store, and Xbox Store had systems in place, but all lacked user-friendliness or required direct contact with customer support. And only one platform provided no options at all. You guessed it, the Nintendo eShop. Nintendo's terms are unequivocally there. They say all sales are final, uh, even advises uh, consumers to be like, make sure you check your download requirements because the second you hit buy, too bad. And according to them, the NCC sent a letter to the Nintendo of Europe mentioning that it violated the consumer rights directive, which I agree, it violates a consumer right, which is that According to the EU and the European Economic Area, which is all the companies that are economically tied to the EU, in case you're unfamiliar, and the EU being the European Union, which has a single market, they have a law that consumers are allowed to withdraw from a purchase if distribution hasn't yet started, and they believe that uh, they cannot prohibit uh, consumers from canceling or withdrawing from 
digital content contract before the performance has begun. So if you buy a game and you don't play it within a certain amount of time period, you should by law have the option to return it. I can see, I don't see why that's an issue. I can see why having someone who had played even five minutes be forced to return it, I guess, would be even fair. But I, I think companies with good return policies end up getting loyalty from the consumers. But, I mean, Nintendo's mentioned the same reason you don't see any Nintendo games on sale on the eShop is that they, they just do their own thing. Um, I'm sure they'll have to uh, comply with this request. I think it's only reasonable, and it sort of jumps into what I had, I believe, mentioned two, three weeks ago, maybe if not a little more, with regards to the Valve Corporation, which owns Steam, uh, which is a major online gaming marketplace. Uh, we're, we're fighting pretty tooth and nail against a Australian court ruling, which was similar in that they mentioned that Steam did not have a good refund policy, and that's what they were suing them for. And lo and behold, Steam implemented one. So you'd be you'd be surprised what the uh, threat of regulation can do to self-regulation. And, I, and I'll mention that because uh, there's two stories at the end of this that we'll circle around to. Not too much in depth, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But anyway, in actually pretty relatively huge news uh, to the industry in particular, Read Pop, if you're familiar with it. It is the company behind the PAX conventions, New York Comic Con, TwitchCon, uh, Star Wars celebrations, book cons, more. Recently bought uh, the Gamer Network, which is a number of major video game media publications, uh, a number of sites which we use for research here, um, gamesindustry.biz, Eurogamer, Rock Paper Shotgun, US Gamer, Outside Xbox, VG247, and Digital Foundry. Uh, it makes sort of sense, I suppose, for a events organizer to buy these major gaming publications. It makes me a little worried because I, I see in, in the gaming industry as a whole, there's no sort of set of journalism. There's reviews of games, but there's not analysis as much into the practices of these industries. And so when you have something like this, it turns a lot of these So there's no changes being made, no layoffs, no editorial flips. However, it creates the ability for a for the industry to be hurt because these guys do good work. However, if they're going to be used as sort of a content creation channel to pump out read pop stuff and read exhibitions, I, I think to a degree you're going to have that affect uh, a lot of other things. So at the moment, for example, and what I mean by that is adversarial journalism. So, you know, playing a game and being like, this game's great because you sent it to me for free is automatically conflict. And so if you bought the game and you're like, it's good, I can trust you. If you bought it and it, you say it sucks, I can trust you. But when it comes down to something like this, uh, you know, these major sites, they don't have that sort of adversarial journalism. So that leaves people on individual gamers to go to Reddit and create large-scale statistical analyses of the percentage of uh, experience points you're getting for doing missions. And that is the type of stuff. It was an individual player, one person, who was like, yo, in for Battlefront 2 and all of the loot box controversy that followed, 
one person who was like, wait a second, this seems funky to me. I'm going to do a large-scale research project on this and then publish my numbers to see if other people are doing this. That should be the, that is what I mean by adversarial journalism. That should have been something that should have been analyzed, published, and presented by a fucking gaming journalism entity not a individual on Reddit. So now we're for, or they're outsourcing the job of keeping these publishers and the game developers and the people in the industries honest to individuals instead of major publications. So that's the one piece of it that I have a major issue with, which is a potential for that. Does that necessarily mean it'll happen? No, but always look at the cynical side of things and you will never be surprised which is a cynical way to look at things. So I don't know what to tell you, but worked for me. May not work for you, though. Anyway, and lastly up, just so we could keep this short for you guys, we had had an interview planned, but it ended up falling through. And so hopefully I can get that replanned for you guys for next week or maybe even Friday. Uh, we'll see. But to close it up, and we're going to go further in detail, with this topic on Friday when Lilo has returned from his sabbatical of one episode it is the fact that Riot, the company that owns League of Legends, is publishing or sharing its drop rates um, for its loot boxes. So a huge major move. I've covered this loot box microtransaction concept of fucking... And um, there's even more. A story came out this uh, or uh, this morning, but uh, or uh, came out earlier in the afternoon. And I really want to cover it. It was the ESRB's uh, decision to label uh, video games with the fact that there's microtransactions in them or potential transactions of an economic nature, which is every fucking game in the world. So it's just the literal least bandage you could put on this situation. So fearing actual regulation and actually probably more driven by the fact that Riot and League of Legends are owned by the Chinese company Tencent, which is the conglomerate gaming industrial manufacturer over in, in China. But given that they own them, it, it doesn't surprise me that League of Legends was the first of these major games with the loot boxes to publish the results because, as I've mentioned, and I will continue to mention, the strong, transparent democracy of China already has a law that demands, and for the past two years almost, that demands that developers have to release the odds or the drop rates for loot boxes. And so, it again, it, co it coincides with the fact that the company that's from China ends up coming out here and be like, fuck it, why not just release the, the, the drop rates? It's not going to make people buy less of them. It's just going to reflect what the actual chances are of winning something. And so... Uh, oh, wait, excuse me. They're the, they're the first major, I guess, game. I, I guess I forgot that PUBG had done it uh, recently. And uh, again, another story we had covered a, a couple weeks back. I keep saying we covered. I don't know how else to bring it up, the fact that I mentioned it. But um, if you're unaware, uh, just before Christmas, because I know some of y'all haven't been listening for that long, the Apple decreed that all Apple... All App Store games had to make clear how players would uh, receive randomly generated items, which meant dropping or releasing drop rates. Uh, Overwatch is next. You have my word here. Uh, unless some, even though it is uh, aesthetic only, uh, and, and I, I fully accept aesthetic uh, loot boxes as long as it doesn't affect gameplay for online multiplayer, but simultaneously, you still have to publish the odds. It's like putting a, 
a warning packet on cigarettes or putting calories at a fast food place? Like, is it going to deter anyone? I, I want to say some, not most, but simultaneously, at least the honesty is there. So then the consumer can make an informed decision. I'm not against capitalism. I'm against lack of knowledge for the consumer to make their decisions. And if they then go forward and make a stupid decision, well, then fuck it. They're allowed to, and the company's absolved because you put it all out there. But to be like, oh, you know, yeah, we made $4 billion as this is Activision uh, Blizzard. Yeah, we made uh, $4 billion last year from uh, microtransactions and loot boxes. Actually, we made more last year on microtransaction loot boxes and we actually made selling games i think we should figure out a way to actually regulate this so it doesn't get out you're fucking kidding me you hear that literally making more money making purchases in games than the actual fucking games themselves so uh it, 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 there's going to be no chance in hell that the esrb ends up implementing any fucking requirements for this shit. The only reason they probably did game rating was because in the 90s, there was that, you know, major musical backlash, the Eminem, you know, hip-hop scene early in the 90s that had a large scale, like, oh, this is violent content, this is violent content, let's label it. But it wasn't like, oh, this could potentially affect our economic bottom line. That's a whole different situation, and I think that their uh, their decision making is going to definitely be clouded by that amount of money. But what can you do? What can you do? Anyway, I guess I guess that's pretty much it. That's all we got for you guys today, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed just the uh, the solo show, uh, solo going solo dolo. Uh, if you have not gotten the chance. Go fucking watch Black Panther. That shit was awesome. I'm going to say it again. Go watch Black Panther. And otherwise, we shall see you guys on Friday. Uh, enjoy, enjoy your week, ladies, gentlemen, children, and sentient animals who understand English. It's been real. <laughs>